you know, we're, it was 13 plays in. You know, it was a hit that I've taken a million times in my career. I just landed the exact wrong way. Um, and I knew it wasn't extremely painful when it happened, but you just sometimes, you know, like something's wrong. Something just happened and it's wrong. And I, you know, I was down, give some time for the backup to warm up. And I walked back and took x-rays and everything looked okay, but I just knew it was not okay. Um, so it was tough, but that being said, um, having this season with my family, with my kids and being able to maybe kind of have a glimpse of what retirement would look like. Um, and now like slowly nursing back to health and being able to golf and swing a golf club without any pain, um, you know, that kind of stuff, I think helped me reach the decision that I made to be done playing. Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood, where we will prepare you to make your what's next in life your best yet. Our next guest is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitz recently retired from the NFL after 17 season, and he ranks 32nd all-time in career passing yards, 29th in career pass attempts, and 18th all-time in rushing yards for QB. He played for the Rams, Bengals, Bills, Titans, Texans, Jets, Bucks, Dolphins, and Washington after being a seventh-round draft pick. Fitz is a close friend of mine. It was on episode 35 if you want to check out a previous conversation. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you tune in weekly. Thanks and enjoy. Fitzy, welcome to the podcast, brother. What's up, dude? Happy to be here again. I, it's, I'm happy to have you back, and it's an honor considering on a recent media uh, appearance, you talked about how much you hate going on podcast especially <laughs> former teammates podcast so to get you back on twice um is an honor and i'll make sure to make this extra long because of it yeah well you know how much i love you and i do just want to get it out there right now i did i'm sure you saw the thing i put out the word cloud with all my teammates yeah your your font makes your name look smaller than it actually was <laughs> i'm just telling you right now like there's like this cursive font that like you know, Fred was a 10. I made sure yeah. Fred was big enough. And you were you were either an eight or a nine. And it looks like you're about a five. But I just want to let you know, it was the damn font. Because well, I you get it. For sure. I get it. I'm not offended. I'm not offended. And I feel like if maybe we played a little bit later in my career, maybe you would have appreciated me more as a, as a teammate. Or we would I would have had like some proximity to when you made that post and maybe it would have worked out differently. I just hope that in the next 10 years, when you look back at that list, hopefully we have more memories than the rest of them, but that, that's a little selfish on my end and I'm not going to steal any time away from your seven kids. So I'll, I'll be the fly you buy. That's kind of been our relationship anyways. But that's a, the further removed. I think that I get from smelling my hand and it not smelling very good, like the bigger your name's going to get on the list. So yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that for sure. And Liza probably had some saying that too. You coming home with smelly hands on a, <laughs> she's like, no, nah, no, nah. put him a little further down the list. I'm wearing a shirt that when you gave it to me in 2010 or 11, it did not fit. Now it fits better. Still not. I mean, it's great. You look good. A little snug. Explain the shirt. Okay, so I have two older brothers, they're identical twins. Uh, one of them was at a concert. I don't remember what the concert was, but that image on there, like, is my oldest brother, Brandon. Like, that 
looks like him to a T, perfect beard, hair swoop, everything. And if you if you go up a little bit, like it's a baby and a diaper, hilarious. And so my brother got us all those t-shirts. So I love wearing it. I used to wear it under my pads. And then it became like every time me and you would kind of do the big sun, every time a touchdown was scored or every time we got excited, I would make tribute to the t-shirt, the big sun. Uh, and I kind of kept that. I, I did it probably more with you than anybody in my career, but uh, I kind of kept it as the career went on. But then it was like, it used to be, you know, any completion was like, ah! We did it, big son. By the end, it was more for the you know enormous scores where my eyes bulged out of my head. But uh, that's the story behind Big Son. Yeah, I was upset, and we talked about it on the last podcast that I don't speak out against the Bills. The Bills still pay the Bills. I don't speak out against them a lot. But when they moved on from you, I wasn't in total agreement with that. And amongst many other things, one of the things that would hurt the most would be when I would see you throw up the big son with a new teammate. I'm like, no, no, that's my guy. That's my guy. But anyways, we'll, we'll move on from that. But in prepping for this podcast, I've given one best man speech in my life. And continually, I would just kind of make notes in a notes folder. And then by the end of it, you're like, oh my gosh, how do we fit all this into one best man speech? There's so many memories. This has kind of been the same way. So we're going to jump around a touch but we're going to try and get it all in in a timely fashion. But I haven't seen you in person since the Bills-Pats pre, uh, postseason game this year, first round of the playoffs. You text me during the week that you're coming to the game. I try and help you out and get you set up with tickets or a private spot. You want none of that. And I don't know that there's ever been a quarterback that has started the, the opener for an organization that year and then goes to a playoff game for another team, which is just classic by you. And, and I love it. And the fact that no one brought up like any negativity towards that shows the respect you have around the league. But I just want to know, you know, the pictures come out and it becomes this famous deal that you and your boys take your shirts off. Like at what time, at what point did the shirt discussion come about? So we flew in, we flew in that day and basically came from the airport straight to the parking lot, walked through, went into the game. And so from the second we landed, when so my two oldest boys, Brady and Tate, who you know very well, Brady and Tate, the second we landed, they felt how cold it was. You know, we had bought the the big jackets because we lived in Florida for the last four years. They had nothing. Um, they said, Dad, we're taking our shirts off during the game. And I was like, okay, like, no, we're not, you know, let's just relax. So there was the, it was the conversation, the whole ride, walking through the tailgating zone in the parking lot. They learned a lot of new language. There's a guy walking through with a Mac Jones jersey, which was hilarious, just listening to some of the comments. Um, and throughout the whole game, it was the same thing. Dad, we're doing it. This is it. This is it. So then after that last touchdown, uh, which I think was the seventh in a row, um, I, I said, you know what, this is the moment. Let's do it. And, uh, you know, took off the coat, the sweatshirt, the shirt, and they did the same. Uh, but I I did not last very long. You know, I had it off for a few minutes, uh, still had the, the sweater going a little bit, and I made them put theirs back on after a few minutes when I put mine on because it was, it was bitterly cold, as you know. It was. I was in the booth bundled up in a coat and gloves. I could barely feel my hands to even kind of write down notes throughout the game. It was unbelievably cold. 
the fact that you took your shirt off is just absolutely incredible. Like, oh, hey, I'll blend in, maybe take a photo or two. <laughs> no, let's just go all in. My kids were amazed at the the Pepsi that was completely freezing over and the beers were getting icy. And that was like a new concept for them that was pretty cool. Because if you didn't drink your drink within the first you know, two minutes and it was going to turn into slush. Yeah, that was happening in the booth as well. You mentioned the seven touchdowns and this is about you this podcast, but I just want to ask you one thing. Like when you watch Josh Allen out there, one, do you see some aspects of your game and him kind of just that reckless gunslinger toughness about him? Yeah. And I don't, it was either you or Lee Smith that said this. It's like, Josh Allen is me, but with talent. Like, and I, th- I thought it was like put perfectly because he is so damn talented. Like he, I don't even think that he knows how good he is just yet, but um, I just, when I watch him play and it's, it's all these young guys, when you watch them play, it's like, they don't know that football is supposed to be hard. Like they don't know <laughs> that like, you're not supposed to just walk in and be able to do these things. Uh, Cause it is, it's a humbling game and it's a struggle every week. And even if you're on a roll um, very quickly, you could be humbled in this game. So it's so much fun to watch these guys and Josh in particular, A, because of the talent, B, because the guys love playing with them. Mm-hmm. It's not like he is one of the dudes, like he fits in with the linemen. That's one of those qualities like that you love a quarterback to have. Somebody is going to go out and have a beer with the linemen. And he, uh, in the playoffs, it was just unfortunate because maybe the best two games packed together in playoff history and to not be able to move on uh, and the Kansas City one was obviously a huge bummer for everybody. But, yeah, he's and he's just getting better, which is the scary part. Putting on your analyst cap for a second, is there anything that stands out to you that, man, if he could just do this a little bit better, then, oh, my gosh, the the Bills are the unanimous Super Bowl favorites like they are right now? Well, I, I think, you know, two things. One – his accuracy to be able to, I don't know that anybody's talked about that or people haven't talked about this enough, but be able to go from a 50% passer or whatever he was to now right. a 68% passer like that. It just has never happened in the history of the NFL. Um, so that part to me is really impressive. The, the thing that's going to be interesting this year is Brian dayball has gone. Right. So what does that do? How is that going to change what the offense looks like. How is that going to change his communication level throughout the week and during a game? Um, To me, that's the biggest thing that I'm looking at because I think he was great for Josh. And I know that Dorsey has been there and and will continue to be there. But Dayball was so good for Josh and what he did to help him progress that to me, that's the biggest thing that I want to see. Like, how is that going to be worked out? How is this new relationship? How is it having a new play caller? Because they were really in sync before Brian left. Right. You're, you're spot on there. And you mentioned the accuracy. And no quarterback has ever gone from last in the NFL in completion percentage, last in completion percentage, back-to-back years, to then be in the top five for completion percentage. That's never happened. That shows work ethic. That shows continuity of the franchise them bringing in some really talented players. There's a lot that goes into that, but you can't discount the work that he's put in as well. Well, let's give Jordan Palmer a shout out too, huh? Get Jordan, Jordan podcast guest, Jordan. Guy, guy who spent a little uh, time in preseason with the Bills, guy who I've snapped a football to amongst so many yeah. others. Uh, Good dude. Great dude. Great dude. Great dude. All right. So 
this is a personal development podcast in many senses, but I won't ask you too many fishing around here today. But what I want to know, if you could go back to yourself as a rookie in the NFL, what would be one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Uh, that's a tough one because when I look, when I look at my career, um, and even just the process and in, in, in learning and doing all the things I did and being in all the different cities and meeting all the different people, like there's not a whole lot that I would change because we love the experience every step of the way. Uh, you know, the one, and we've talked about this on the last show, we talked about this, just my younger self, like, all right, well, we're late in the game, you know, sometimes stuff, you know, the, we can't score 21 points with one throw. Like that's the kind of stuff I finally, as I went on, learned and got better with. Uh, and I was texting with Bill O'Brien a little bit yesterday, 2014 for me to be able to be in that new England type system completely changed the trajectory of my career and being able to learn under him. And then to have two different, uh, instances where I could apply some of that to Chan's offense, which was my favorite right. offense I was ever in. Uh, maybe being able to learn some of those things earlier and being exposed to that earlier uh, would have been helpful for me. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you talk about you wouldn't trade those experiences of going to all those different cities. And as you put out that graphic of close to 900 names, people often say the thing they miss most about the NFL are the relationships. And you got to form a special amount of relationships. Now it came at the expense of moving your family around and constantly learning new offenses, but you got to get more of the most treasured piece of the puzzle along the way. So there's blessings in every, you know, someone may look at it like, man, that's awful that it had to work out that way where you're constantly being shuffled, but there's blessings in that as well. Yeah. And I would, I want to point out, cause I was thinking about this before I came on, and I always say Louisville, but I think you try to get me to say Louisville. Um, yeah, just pretend like you got some marbles in your mouth. Yeah. So if you look at this list, and again, your font screws up your size, but Eric Wood, we've got Devontae Parker, we've got Breno Giacomini, we've got Bilal Powell. Like we've got some names on there that are very big. Uh, in font in terms of favorite teammates I've ever had that are all Louisville guys, which is pretty cool. And I'm sure I'm even forgetting a few, but those are the ones that popped in my head as I was thinking about it. Uh, guys that really had a big impact on my career. Yeah. Yeah. You got a big Louisville contingency here. Um, so we got to get you in for the Derby and come celebrate all that with us. Yeah. You end up playing 9,433 regular season snaps. If you can go back and think of one that was like the craziest moment, would it be the Miami touchdown you threw late in the game against the Raiders? Yeah. I mean, that one, that one was crazy. And even the circumstances surrounding it, you know, I got inserted into the game in the fourth quarter and we end up coming back and then the Raiders end up scoring late. Um, and there was, I think there was 18 or 19 seconds on the clock when all of that transpired with the face mask and no timeouts. Um, and that was like impossible. Didn't think it could ever happen again. And then unfortunately Mahomes does it in 13 seconds somehow. But I, I think that one, I, one of my favorite plays that ended up getting called back. Um, I was in Tampa. It was against Washington and I scrambled and got about 
10 yards down field and Adam Humphreys was on the sideline and I whipped it out to Adam and he caught it. And it was like, it was like third and 20 or something. He ran for another 25 yards right. and I get the first down and I'm all excited. And the ball, I threw it, but since I was moving this way, I wanted my kids to do like a physics project on this. Since I was running down the field with a certain amount of speed and I threw the ball, the ball carried that, uh, the conservation of, I don't know, momentum, movement, motion, something. It carried my speed that I was running with and ended up being a forward lateral, even though it didn't look like one. Right. Uh, and to me, like that was one of my favorite plays because it just like popped up. I love playing with Adam. Um, but there's there's a lot of them that, that I remember. The the one that I think you were you were definitely involved with was the the quarterback sneak on like third and 10 or, you know, some of those you think back and maybe they weren't the best ideas. Uh, you know, they, those are the ones I look back on fondly. Oh, those, those were my favorite. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you know, you're constantly throwing on the run and practice in like a bootleg type fashion, but you just never had the practice to run down the field at full speed and then lateral yeah. and sideways. Maybe uh, that should be implemented in some drills in the future, but you're you you have this like stoic nature about you not as stoic as your brother but you have this stoic <laughs> nature. shout out john yeah. shout out john but you have this stoic nature about you like even after an injury you're never going to get too upset but how disappointing was last year because this is the first time that an nfl organization picks you up on a private plane for your team visit you're coming yeah. into a team that had the number one defense in the league before and the and everything's built around you you get injured in week one how how disappointing was that yeah, it, it was tough because I felt like I had got to the point in my career, you know, those those opportunities for me are very difficult to be able to come in as the guy, not as, um, you know, somebody compete, not as somebody that's going to back up and, you know, we'll get a young guy in and we'll see what happens, not a placeholder. Like I was coming in to be the guy. And so I felt like the stars had aligned a little bit with that, with a great defense, with some great weapons on offense. Um, and it just, you know, we're oh, it was 13 plays in, and it was a hit that I've taken a million times in my career. I just landed the exact wrong way. Um, and I knew it wasn't extremely painful when it happened, but you just, sometimes, you know, like something's wrong, something just happened and it's wrong. And I, you know, I, was down, give some time for the backup to warm up. And I walked back and took x-rays and everything looked okay, but I just knew it was not okay. Um, so it was tough, but that being said, um, having this season with my family, with my kids and being able to maybe kind of have a glimpse of what retirement would look like, um, and now like slowly nursing back to health and being able to golf and swing a golf club without any pain, um, you know, that kind of stuff, I think helped me reach the decision that I made to be done playing. Yeah. And I was calling a game at that time, but we have some highlights kind of going in front of us. And I saw that highlight. And when you did not come back in the game, I knew it was serious because it wasn't a broken bone. It wasn't an obvious, you know, sideways knee injury. And when you didn't come back in the game, I knew something was really wrong because I've seen you play through some really big hits and some things that may hold others out of a game. And so I knew it was bad and I hated it for you because I it was it's so much easier when you're in the NFC to root for you. Now that I'm out of the league, like I would have rooted <laughs> for you anyways, but yeah. through my entire time in the league, 
when you moved on, you were always in an AFC team. So it was always really tough to balance all of that. That being said, one of the hardest moments, um, it came when the Jets came to Buffalo and we hugged after the game and you guys make the playoffs. If you win, it's meaningless to us, but we end up winning the game. And I actually got asked yesterday in regards to an article, if I would trade that win to get you to the playoffs. And I said, yes, of course, like it, it didn't change. You know, I wouldn't want it to change the way anything else worked out, but yes, I would have given that up. But and I, I remember in that game, like in that game, um, my second interception, which was kind of late in the fourth quarter, I got hit by Marcel Darius or Darius. I, I called him Darius all the time. Is it Darius? I'm not sure. I get hit by Marcel as I'm throwing it kind of flutters up and uh, Lawson picks it off or somebody that, you know, it was just a bummer, but he was even apologizing, you know, he was out there to play hard and to win the game, but he felt so bad that it happened because I do think that like a lot of the guys I played with, like wanted me to be able to go and, and do that. But yeah, I mean, and we went two years of my career, 10 and six and no playoffs, which is right. kind of a tough pill to swallow. Is that something that will last with you or do you move on from that and you can be just proud of the career you had? Yeah, I, I think I'm just proud of the career. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really dwell on that. Like I think the, the main thing for me is I, especially the last, week that I've been getting the text messages and emails and phone calls, like the relationships, like that's it. That's what's going to be lasting for me. You know, those are the things that, you know, when I get Debbie Driscoll from Buffalo reaching out, Oh, Miss Debbie's the best. Uh, You know, it's just, those are the kind of things that, um, you know, I'm really proud of and, and happy to hold forever. Definitely. And I got a glimpse of what having one child in the NFL was like towards the end of my career. I can't imagine seven. And we talked about this a little bit the last time about on all the moves, how much lies is the glue and all of that. It makes it such a cool experience, but just honor her again. Like how easy is it for you to go out and do your job on a daily basis when you know, you have that rock in the household in Liza. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with her, I mean, she's a rock. She does everything wonderfully. Like, but she does it all with a smile on her face. It's not like I feel like I'm being a burden. I'm not, it's not like I feel like, uh, you know, I'm screwing up our family life or screwing up the kids or she does everything with a smile on her face and is happy to be there. And, you know, it, every time in my career where we got to that point of like, should I play? Should I not? You know, what are we going to do? It was always the encouragement you know, do what you want to do, do what you feel is right. Not, yeah, let's be done, you know? And I think that's been awesome. I think it's trickled down to all of our kids. You know, the part of it now that just gets more difficult is Brady's a uh, freshman in high school. And so uh, he's finishing up school this week, actually. And like continuing to move for one year, for one year, for one year, it just, that part of it is going to start to add up a little bit. I think it's been wonderful that all my kids have had that so far and that they've had to make new friends and go to new places and learn new things. Um, but we're at the point in our lives now where I think stability is probably going to be a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And and they get the experience of having to learn new environments. They get all those different experiences in different towns, but now they get to be home and be near family and, um, you guys can rip and roar in the backyard with all of Sean's kids too. Like you guys 
we'll make so many new memories and it's, it's special that you got to have that. And, and I always love the way you've always talked about lies. I always tell people, the people I respect most in the world, aren't the, Oh, I got the old ball and chain with me. It's the people that brag on their wives. Like those are the people I like to associate myself with. And you've done that since the second I met you. So I always appreciated that about you. We don't have to talk on this much, but I know you're going to miss the relationships, the locker room, the pranks, the competing on Sundays. What's one thing you will not miss? Uh, I mean, I think the the strain, the like strain of every day, the mental, the taxing, like on the mental capacity for trying to prepare for a practice to making sure that everything's perfect to, you know, the game plan. And I think the, the mental part of it, that preparation, it just, it adds up and the stress of that and making sure that everybody's on the same page and doing the right things um, to be able to sit back well, two things. One, to be able to go to like a tailgate party, which has never right. really happened. Right. So like to be able to enjoy a Sunday um, and the stress free nature of just being able to watch a game. Like I'm pretty excited about that to not have to worry about, well, if they win, then that stinks for us. And just all the different scenarios to be able to watch as a fan. Uh, I think I'm really going to enjoy it. I think you will as well. And I think you're doing it perfectly in the fact that you're going to stay around the game in some type of media capacity, but then also be able to enjoy those moments as well. So I think you're um, on the, on a perfect track. I went my first year out of the league and just traveled around, visited Tampa and got to visit you and many others. But when you're not doing anything work-wise for the first time in so long, it leaves you pretty unfulfilled on Mondays with, you got a little bit of a hangover, you got a full week of rest, and then let's go do it again in a different city next week. I'm like, that's not super fulfilling. So I think it's perfect that you're transitioning the way you are. I got to know, though, are you going to go like full on suited up for these media gigs? I feel like you're just like so anti uh, take yourself too serious. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I can. I, with the network emblem on the, you know, I just I don't want to do that. I kind of want to be able to be myself. You know, I want to be able to keep the beard. I want to be able to, you know, I'll, uh, sure. I'll get a haircut. Like I don't, I don't need to go out with like, I, I get that. Like my wife hates my hair too. Everybody hates it. I get it. But yeah, I've got to be able to keep some semblance of myself out there. So whether that's, you know, bright colored shirts, I mean, I'm not going to go, I'm not buttoning all the way up. I probably won't even go single button. We'll probably take it down a few but uh, I, I want to be able to, you know, also enjoy it and not necessarily have to uh, conform to whatever, you know, is the norm in the industry. I didn't expect that of you. I'm sure that'll be worked within a contract whenever it's set <laughs> in stone. Um, you're going to be able to go to a lot more sporting events. I understand that during the offseason, you get to go to a lot of sporting events. I know you'll never be that overbearing dad, but do you ever have those moments where you like, you because I could see you like yelling in a playful way, but maybe that's taken the wrong way from another parent. Has that happened to you yet? So I don't I'm pretty quiet at kids games. I would say encouragement and maybe more encouragement for other players on the team more so than my kids, which might be a little annoying, but definitely all positive stuff. That being said, like and, and I had this growing up. Um 
you know, getting in the car after a game, you know, my dad, whether it was baseball or you know, football, basketball, where I know I didn't have a great game or whatever, like to get the dad talk. You know, my So for us, like most of the time we're coming from different places. So we're in two cars. So Liza has her car and I have my car. Right. And I'm all about like, as long as my kids play hard, as long as they hustle, as long as they give effort, like as long as they care, I'm cool. Like right. I, I've made so many enough mistakes for everybody in my career, you know, and it's like, I don't care that they're making mistakes. They're not winning every game, but if they're not doing it with effort and they're not doing it with hustle and heart and all those like beautiful things that take no talent whatsoever, then like, you know, they're going to get pulled into dad's car and we're going to have a talk on the way home. And so yeah. as my kids get older, they can sense it. Right. And, and so it's always like, you know, one of them, you know, was walking off the field when they got subbed or whatever in soccer, they're trying to get into mom's car at the end of right. the day. <laughs> they don't want to go in dad's car because they know dad's going to have a talk with them. And that being said, like I, it's with boys and girls, I think it's hard. It's a hard balance. Like it's very easy for me to yell at my boys, very easy. And for the girls, it's just, it's a little bit different. I mean, I think, I try not to parent them different, but there are certain things that are different to where it just works out that way. But I love being mean to my boys and making them cry. Like, I don't like being mean to my girls and making them cry. But if we're playing sports and we're not giving effort, you got to come to the front seat of the car and we're going to have a drive home and we're going to talk about it. Yeah, because the lessons in sports come from the effort, the camaraderie and all that. They don't necessarily come from the wins and losses in particular. So it's not like you're coaching them on a technique. It's okay. This is what's expected. We, we do a similar thing and my kids are only six and four, but we do a similar pregame talk with the kids, like have fun, listen to your coaches and try as hard as you can. That's all that's expected of you. Yeah. If you don't do those things, then we'll be disappointed. But if you do, then we'll always be in your corner. Like don't, you yeah. know, you can play freely from there. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's hard. I mean, it, it's, you want the best for your kids and you want success and all that. But so my 11 year old daughter, probably a month ago, she plays soccer, comes into the car, you know, and I am just pissed the whole game, but not saying anything because she's being lazy and she's walking around and uh, she comes in the car and she says, Oh dad, my coach gave me MVP. You know? <laughs> and I said, well, you didn't play like an MVP. Oh. And, I, and I broke it down and she immediately lost it just you know heaving doing the sniffles in the back and will not talk to me the whole car ride and I'm just kind of you know making sure that she knows that the effort wasn't acceptable and we get into the house I'm trying to joke with her and be funny dad and she goes straight up to her room and I'm feeling a little bit bad about it and then three minutes later I look outside and she's kicking a soccer ball into the net. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's my girl. Like, yes, it went through, it got through to her. Like we're good to go. She's probably gonna have stories and hate me in 10 years, but you know, I think it's our job as as parents to make sure that some of those values and things that they should be doing right all the time, or, you know, we're the ones that hold them into check sometimes. Yes, absolutely. No doubt about it. And I, um, you, you may not be surprised to know this, but one year, I coached both our kids in soccer and like a four to, or it was a four to six soccer team that I threw Garrett on as well. Yeah. And Grace got kicked out of a couple games. And, and I think, <laughs> but 
it was pouting and it was, it was a lack of judgment on our part, not having other kids that I, it was a co-ed four to six year old league. Grace as a five-year-old girl is getting her feet stepped on by much bigger boys. And that was a little bit of a misjudgment on my end, but I had, you live and you learn though, right? I mean, it's all trial and error as parents, you live and you learn. Yeah. But I was, I was running around, you know, and I'm, I'm the encourager as well, you know, but, but I had to, I had to make an example out of Grace a couple of times. The fact that she wasn't even mad about it just showed me her true competitiveness. And it might not surprise you that she did dance this year instead of soccer, but that's okay. That's okay. I was, I was there for every dance practice and I'm all good with that. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So on your podcast with Adam Schefter, you went through a lot of your favorite games, a couple yeah. I was involved with. I have some top fits memories. You can expand on these or not. You can just listen. You could okay. shake your head, whatever but I'll just run through a list of some of my favorite Fitz memories and most or all are appropriate. Number one, uncle Joe's meals, top of the list, like our Fridays at uncle Joe's diner in Buffalo. Like those memories I'll, I'll have forever. The best. And and for me, when you say uncle Joe's, I think about stepping it up. So like step we would go, we'd win a game. We'd have to step it up and order an extra pancake or another side of bacon or whatever. So then when we go on a win streak, it was like, okay, starting to feel sick, but we have to step it up again. We've got to step it up again. But yes, I love, that's one of my favorite memories in Buffalo. Yeah. We didn't have a team nutritionist then that was telling us if you make yourself <laughs> sick eating Friday, that might not be the best idea in the world, but that was our best year. Anyways, yeah. uh, 2011 new England game. One of my favorite memories of all time. Yeah. The best. And I, I actually just, Rewatched as I was talking to Schefter about some of those uh, yesterday. I rewatched a couple of those. You, YouTube apparently has everything, and you can right. just go through like the ten minutes of highlights or whatever from those games. Um, and that one, just the feeling, the energy in that stadium. I mean, that was we had lost fifteen consecutive times. I think the Bills had lost fifteen consecutive times to New England, and so to be able to be there for a few years, like we had been and to feel like our first, you remember our first new England experience was the Monday night game where like we were up by two touchdowns and they scored and Leotis fumbles the kickoff and they went and it was like, here we go again. So to be a part of the, no, it's not here we go again. Like we're going to win this game. And for Fred to thank goodness, be called down on the one yard line so that Tom didn't get the ball again. We could run it out and kick a field goal. It was pretty incredible. Yes, it was. A week prior, the 2011 Raiders game with the scream, the last second touchdown, incredible game. That was sick. The scream heard around the world. Um, The the origination of the beer pong game where we were doing the big sun with the shirts. But what I love most about that story is you told Liza you were bringing ice cream to the O-lineman, so you brought over – 40 McFlurries to Jeff Hangardner's house to justify that you did technically bring us ice cream. Yeah, that was a good one. We did the Arizona Super Bowl with the Ryder Cup, the IVs in your RV, uh, but we did the Ryder Cup, which me and Kyle Rudolph, you were allowed to take a mulligan anytime you took a legitimate shot of fireball, and me and Kyle Rudolph took seven mulligans apiece on the front. We ended up winning that end of the format, but what a fun weekend that was. 
Yes, but that, so with that, and I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to do this, but the fireball, the initial fireball invitational, you had to take the shot before you took your golf shot, just yes. to make sure that you weren't stacked up. And, and that, I just remember the next day too, I think we went out and played and we found like somebody's driver on 18 and we <laughs> like, it was, it was a mess by the end, but it was a lot of fun. And we played the par threes as an eightsome and there's an Island green at your country club. And I used my rangefinder to tell everybody the distance. And I told everyone the distance was 105 yards. Well, you knew that it was 130 yard shot. So you were getting ready to spoil it. And I go, no, no, no. So we watched shot after shot go right into the water. Like, what are you talking about? I hit a full pitching wedge. That's a 135 shot. How can I not get it there? I'm like, well, there's a little breeze. Try again. And we watched ball after ball go into the water after I lied to him. Yeah. Take yeah. another fireball. Um, when you dressed up as Brett Favre for Halloween and came to the Bills facility, that was a classic Halloween costume. The uh, real open fly jeans. Yeah, real. that was inappropriate. But yeah, I had the sweatshirt pulled down just in case. Yeah. <laughs> when you hit Eric Pierce newborn with a dinner roll at the chop house when you were throwing it across the room at a Garth Brooks charity function dinner. Yeah, I mean that that wasn't the only inaccurate throw you made you saw me make. So <laughs> when I taught you to play craps in Vegas and we started nicknaming people at the table, and we had so much fun, we stayed up till our tea time the next day. Hey, were you with me? I think you were with me when we were in Arizona and Cam Newton walked in and he was playing war and you had your yeah, <laughs> but I, 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 wouldn't your... Break, I wouldn't break character with the cowboy hat. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, Cam Newton was like, oh, you played with so-and-so. And I would not – I was a cowboy at that point. You could not get me to break character. Uh, <laughs> I like that one. We got to release one of these because this this is incredible. And you guys are better than us, but we're still working on, like, our floor products. But the videos of sliding down the halls and the socks that you and Liza will send over. So we'll get those out on social media so that there's some reference to those. Yeah, because I I've – I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know, because we brought the tape measure out, too, because I was even amazed at the distance that I was getting. But we, we've got some slick floors. So yeah. I, I think everybody's at a disadvantage there. So you got to run from carpet, hit hardwood and see how far you can slide without not, without taking any additional steps. So yeah. we'll get a competition out there. My last memory, I'll say, and then if you have any to add, but my last one I'll add is when we're at the Masters in 2018, I'll see if I can get this story out without dying laughing. We're sitting on 16, and it's a lot of pressure at the end of this tournament. And Fitz had got us a row of chairs right on the water. We're right next to the green, and it's dead silent. It's the second last group of the day to come through, and they all think they have a chance at winning. Patrick Reed had a one-shot lead on the field, and it's dead silent right before a, far, or right before a shot, right before a putt. And Fitz rips the longest, loudest fart I've ever heard in my entire life. Well, I'm 310 pounds at least at the time. So everyone just <laughs> assumes it's me. You keep a straight face. I'm dying laughing. And there's like a gallery of people that think that this O-lineman just ripped a fart room in the oh, Masters. It's, it's one of my favorite moves when you're around some guys that are bigger than you. Because inevitably, everybody's looking at the biggest guy. So. Right. Uh, yeah, that one, I, I think I held that in. I mean, it was pimento cheese and egg salad sandwiches all day. So that wasn't, that wasn't very difficult to get out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. My father-in-law still brings that up all the time. Every time I'm watching the Masters, I can't look at number 16 at the Masters without thinking of that part. <laughs> uh, 
All right. So um, the normal recurring questions you've already been through, I have some that these can be as quick of answers as you want. Did you have a specific pregame routine? Uh, not really. I mean, I was just, I was always annoyed because, I mean, we had to get that. You had to be there, I think, even by NFL standards, two hours early, no matter what. You know, I'd always get there three, three and a half hours early, usually stop at Dunkin' Donuts if it was a home game and get my coffee. Um, but it was just like, that was almost my least favorite part of game day was the just three hours of waiting. So I would go out and throw for about 10 minutes, 10 yards away, and then come in. Cause I inevitably towards the end of my career, like I would kind of know everybody on the other team or coaching staff. So I try to get out there about two plus hours early. So I didn't necessarily have to talk to many people. Yeah. It always took me a lot longer to get ready. Now I have a lot more things with knee braces and all that. And whenever we would play towards the end of my career, I'd be like, all right, I've got to keep an eye on the clock or else I'm not going to give myself enough time to get ready for this game. Let's take a moment for one of our sponsors. The daily vitamins and supplements I've been using for optimization each and every day are those from BrainMD. Go to BrainMD.com and use code ERIC15 at checkout for 15% off. Besides, you know, the Bill Stadium, this isn't, you know, a Bill's pump-up podcast. Besides the Bill Stadium, what was your favorite stadium to play in? Uh, Like the team, my team? It could be be anywhere. Um, I mean, I always, I didn't play it there a ton, but Minnesota, I mean, old or new, like that fan base and now like the skull deal. And that to me was always really cool. I think to be able to experience the progression of the Miami stadium from what it was, which was not wonderful to putting up the canopy and the $500 million renovation. I loved that stadium. I thought there was such great energy in that stadium. And then to be able to see a Super Bowl there too was pretty cool. Um, Kansas City's fan base, you know, home of the Chiefs, like that was always pretty cool. But those are, yeah, those are some of the ones that stick out to me. Pittsburgh, when they, you know, they play the Renegade or whatever, yeah. those are cool moments. Yeah. Um, Brian Dayball, they had practiced with Renegade on all week. And with the with the Bills prepping to go there, and it was a few years ago, and they clinched um, a playoff spot that night. But all week they got so tired of hearing Renegade over and over. Brian Dayball said, "As soon as Renegade goes, if we have the ball, we're throwing a bomb. Like we're gonna we're gonna ruin their Renegade." And Josh hit it, and it was oh, that's awesome. It was it was awesome. It was awesome hearing the story afterwards from Dayball, and he yeah. was like, "No, no, no, we wanted to ruin Renegade." And so it was a shot whenever it happened, if we had the ball. And so yeah, it ended up being awesome. a big And it fight. worked. I mean, usually right. you say that it doesn't work. It actually worked, which is pretty incredible. And then no one hears the story, so it's okay. <laughs> what was the toughest – who was the toughest defensive coordinator for you to go against during your career? Uh, I mean, I mean, going against – I went up against Belichick forever. I think I, I, think I played – he like started against him 12 times maybe. And his isn't necessarily the most difficult scheme, but it's always a challenge. He's going to challenge you and make you play well, make you throw the ball well, make you make good decisions and maybe take away your top one or two options. So you're not necessarily doing it with those guys. Um, I always really enjoyed playing New England for that because I knew the whole game, there weren't going to be any easy completions and it was going to be a challenge. 
Um, I would say Rex Ryan, like when he was, when we were in Buffalo and he was going in New York with that defense, with right. the skill and the scheme, like, especially at that point in my career, like half the time you're just guessing, like where, where the hell are these guys coming from? You know? And um, he had a really good run there with the jets in terms of what they were doing and how wild and crazy it was at the time. Yeah. Centers get a lot of credit for calling out protections and whatnot. I deserve no credit when I was playing center with you because you were calling out 98% of the protections, especially if it, if it flipped a protection, it was hundred percent on you. And countless times when we'd be playing the jets, you'd be like, all right, 33 is the mic and 21 is the point. Well, I have no idea where they are. I'm the furthest, the closest one to the line of scrimmage. So I have the worst vantage point. And you'd be like, he's over here and he's over here. I'm like, all right, this is, this is pretty tough here. The worst, the worst protection call I made was when we play, it was the week, it was the week after I signed my deal in 2011, we're playing in Toronto versus Washington and I slid you guys one way and London Fletcher wrapped around the other way and essentially ended my life with the hit that he put on me. But that, I remember that being the biggest regret, worst protection call I ever made. That's the hit I thought of when you were playing in Washington this year and injured your hip and didn't come back. Because when I watched you play through those broken ribs and then not even make one single excuse about it, I thought, yeah, this is probably pretty serious when Fitz is not back. good. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the largest person that you ever played with? Uh, gosh. You, uh, I'm I mean, just Breno, Breno's big, but he's not oh, that Breno's, big. Oof, Breno's a big dude. I, I'm missing, you know, I don't know. That's, you might be able to help me with that one. Did we, did we play with, uh, was, did we play with Langston Walker? Was Langston he, was, Walker, yes. That's six, eight. Was, Six, eight, four hundred pounds. There's that'd be really tough. To <laughs> That's what I, I was pretty sure he was there uh, in 09. Um, yeah, Big Bird. He was enormous. But even like I loved a guy that wasn't that tall, but by the end of his career, like Willie Cologne was great for me because Willie was a big old dude. And by the end, playing on hurt knees and ankles and whatever else, it was just all heart. And he was out there giving everything he had and he would never turn towards me in the huddle. He would always face the line of scrimmage. So he didn't have to turn around after I called the play. <laughs> I called the play and then he'd walk up and ask Nick what it was. And, but he was, he was a massive human being as well. Uh, Brandon yeah. Brooks, Brandon Brooks is another massive human being. And yes. I just saw him at the masters and he looks incredible. He's like 250 pounds. He looks unbelievable, but he, he was massive. Gotcha. Who's the player that most starstruck you when you got to an NFL team? Uh, I'm assuming it was I mean, probably early with the Rams. Well, yeah, that's what, I mean, when I, when, when I got drafted by the Rams, it was like the tail end of the greatest show on turf. So I would say, between Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, Marshall Falk, probably one of those three names where I was like, I just remember, I think it was a preseason game. I was throwing, you know, I was like the four stringer throwing swing passes to Marshall Falk before the game and like missing them, just like holding on to it, you know, or throwing it over his head. And he's like, Hey, Harvard, calm down, calm yeah. down, you know, but I, it was probably Marshall because he had, he had did such an incredible run and then it was like, oh, my God, I'm teammates with this guy. This is pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. 
Who's the most gifted receiver that you threw to physically? Like I have, let me just, I wrote some of these names down. Like, let me just go through this list. This was kind of top of the head, like going through teams. Yeah. I've been very blessed. Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, Chad Johnson, TJ Hushmanzada, Lee Evans, T.O., Stevie Johnson, Kenny Britt, Andre Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, Chris Godwin, Devontae Parker, Terry McCorn. So, like, my God, between, you know, T.O., what a specimen he was. Andre Johnson, same way. Brandon Marshall, same way, just in terms of size, speed. Uh, I just – was extremely blessed to play with all kinds of hall of fame receivers at different points of their careers. Um, so it's hard, it's hard to pick just one, but it was, it was a lot of fun to throw at all those guys. Who's your best looking former teammate. So is it at the time, like now it would be you, but is it at the time where they were playing? Or? I'm not an, I'm not an option, but I do appreciate that. Well, I, the first one that pops to mind is Eric Decker. I mean, it, everything, but his feet, Gorgeous. Every he well, he had a he broke his collarbone, so his collarbone wasn't the best either. He should probably get it shaved down. But um, his feet were nasty. His toenails were nasty from getting stepped on. But oh, he was a beautiful, beautiful man. I love I love Eric to this day. Jesse Jesse's very very lucky to have a beautiful man like that. Oh, you're incredible. Um, did it offend you when Tom Brady wouldn't shake your hands or did you shake your hand after a loss or did you appreciate it just even more? Like, did you appreciate it? No, it pissed me off. I mean, the only time it happened was the, it's 2011 in Buffalo. It's like, it just pissed me off because it's like you win every game and you run over there and shake hands. But when you lose, like shake hands like that's what I, right. I go over there every time when you beat me because you beat me a lot you know so and i wasn't saying me, you appreciate him more like you appreciate the moment of beating him oh, how sour yes, it is yeah because yes. it happened two more times where then i got to like go and get the handshake so yes that was like a, a very big thing for me in my career where it made me so mad in 2011 that all i wanted to do was to get that moment again to recreate it and to make it go the way i wanted it to go so i was very fortunate to have that moment uh, with New York and in Miami. All right. So this is what's next with Eric Wood. What's next for Ryan Fitzpatrick? And let's go short term, like this summer. What's this next couple months look like for you? Oh, it is busy. We school finishes this week. All the sports have kind of wrapped up. We've got one more soccer tournament, but um, with two Harvard grads is like report card days, like pretty tough in the Fitz household. Like, ooh, we got a yeah, B plus here. Expectations are high. Expectations are, are definitely high, um, but we're moving in a couple of weeks. So we're, we're moving from Virginia to Arizona. So just the process of that uh, and all the different things that go into that. Uh, I, I will say we have it down to a science. We're very good at it. Um, <laughs> and usually for us, it involves getting a pod, uh, getting a dumpster and getting a movie company. And are you guys good at throwing stuff away? Oh, the best. It is, it is my favorite, whether it's giving away or throwing away purging. Like I think it's the one like wonderful thing about moving every other year is just the, the cleanse of kind of getting rid of the crap. Um, yeah. The difficult thing about this move is 
we've had our Arizona house for a long time. So this is the first time we'll be moving where we don't necessarily need many of the items because we already have a full house elsewhere. So we've got uh, a bunch of friends coming over and, you know, picking and choosing and taking whatever they want. So, yeah, I'll say this and, and it seems like you got it under control, but be careful how much you know, like you, you'll think like, well, we have use for this in Arizona, or this is a little too nice to give away. It's going to be three years from then. And you're going to give it away anyways. And I, it seems like you have that under control, but I did that coming home from Buffalo and literally this January was when we started throwing some of that stuff away or donating it. So, yeah. And it's like the, the things that we, when we moved from Tampa to Virginia, like the things that still haven't made their way out of a box, like we don't need those things. Yep. We've proven over the course of the last year, we don't need them. Yeah. It's like the turn a shirt inside out. And if at the end of the, if at the end of the year, it's still inside out because you haven't worn it, then it's time to let that one go. Yeah. All right. Where can people follow your burner accounts on social media? <laughs> yeah, I will. I mean, I still like, if I'm trying to look at news, first of all, Marcus Chapel, who you've met my buddy Marcus in Buffalo yeah. is, is one of my guys, even this morning, you know, texting me about Tiger Woods and the offer that he got from the, you know, golf league or whatever. Um, but I like, if I need to look at something, I can go and search Twitter and look for it. But right. I still like, I'm holding out, man. I don't think I'll ever do it. I'll, I'll have to have it written into whatever contract I sign next if I'm in the media. Like, I just can't do it. No. And, and I love that about you. At some point, you're, you're going to want to police your children. So you'll have maybe a fake account that you can follow <laughs> them on. And I know you have some fake accounts because you'll comment through a text message and I know someone's not passing it along to you. I'm surprised that was your first text message that went off uh, during this interview. It's as well. actually, it's Liza's phone too. So, yeah. I'm glad you didn't yell at her in front of the audience. <laughs> That'll make it easier. Fitzy, I love you, man. I'm so proud of the career you had. And that goes without saying, we've talked a lot over these last couple of months, but I can't wait to see what's next in this transition. And you just have so much, experience so much that you can give to the game still in a media role you get to spend this time with your family and I know this goes without saying but you played the game the right way every single year and I always tell people when I give talks to rookies now the easiest way to walk away from the NFL one day is not to have some job ready for yourself it's not to have this big network of people that are going to pour into you it's playing the game as hard as you possibly can so that you can walk away with peace knowing, okay, I gave that chapter of my life, everything I had, and now I can move on to the next one in peace. So I want to honor you in that way. And uh, Thank you, man. That's, that's awesome. Appreciate I can't wait you. to make many more memories ahead. And um, hopefully they're the summer. All right. And you are the one guy I will do. If you ask me to do a podcast, I will do a podcast for you. I enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate that. Maybe one day we'll co-host one. All right. See you. <laughs> see you.